Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, hello everybody and welcome to the Monday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast as we talk about everything happening in the world of the New York Islanders. Good to be with you. Hope everybody is staying safe and well under the circumstances. I know these are uh, trying times for everybody. Look, this is a, a an unusual week to say the least. It's a holy week for Christians, Passover coming up. For uh, Jews and all of us, more or less, still quarantined in our homes and not really able to go anywhere, no sports, uh, no movies, no bars, restaurants closed except for takeout. So, obviously, not the easiest time, but here at the Lockdown Islanders podcast, we are with you, and we, as a group, will help each other get through this difficult time. If there's something on your mind, you want to send us a question, a comment. Uh, If there's a particular topic you would like us to discuss, please feel free to send us an email. The address is LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. You could also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles, and you can contact us via Twitter if you want to ask us a question or have a comment. And, of course, you can also... Uh, follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter. The uh, Twitter address at Ice Wars N Y R V S N Y I, and of course, Ice Wars is the title of my book on the history of the Islanders Rangers rivalry dating back from 1972 until the present day. All right, let's talk a little bit about some news that was uh, in the world of the. Islanders this past weekend, the big news coming out on Sunday in an interview with Newsday, Islanders head coach Barry Trotz had some second thoughts about the way he handled his team over the course of this season. And it was an interesting uh, article and interview. And, uh, you know, Trotz saying, quote, 2020 hindsight is always a great thing. But I would do a few things different, maybe practiced at different times or more, or just because the group needed it. And then he goes on to say, sometimes I felt like we overcoached. That's because we're so passionate about getting better. When I say you overcoach, you get away from what you do really well. And ironically, the underlying thing that Trotz referred to when he was talking about the uh, possibility that he overcoached the team was 
actually getting away from that defense-first strategy that the team does employ very well and very frequently, and instead, you know, trying to be a little bit more offensive in mind. And, you know, if you look at the numbers over the course of the season, you know, that's a little bit uh, hard to believe in the sense that the Islanders 24th in the league in goals scored only fifth in goals against. Now, again, early in the season, when the Islanders were on that 17-game point streak, the team was at or near first place in the league in goals against. And they were playing their game, winning a lot of uh, games 2-1, to one, one nothing, 3-2. I mean, that's the way the Islanders have to play to be successful. And Trotz is actually saying, even though this team is struggling so mightily to consistently put pucks in the net, that they actually got away from what they do best, which is play that that 200-foot game, and, you know, you build from the goal out. You play from your own zone out, and, you know, maybe that, according to Trotz, the team did not play conservatively enough in order to do what they do so well. Now, the other thing that Trotz said that was a little bit interesting is I wasn't worried we weren't going to make the playoffs because we were trending mentally in the right way. Our mental mindset, Trotz said, was going in the right direction. Now, look, the Islanders were clearly slumping before play was suspended by the National Hockey League. Out of the last 13 games that the Islanders played, they won a grand total of two of them. And, you know, if the season ended now and they just did straight points, the Islanders would not be in the playoffs. They would miss by one point. Now, they have two games in hand on Columbus. They're one point behind Columbus. So, in theory, they should or would have a couple of chances to at least tie, if not pass, the Blue Jackets. But, you know, it's interesting that Trotz sees the positive as far as the team's mindset is concerned. And I think part of it also has to do with the team getting healthy again. And look, Cal Clutterbuck was coming back into the lineup. Uh, Casey Sezikis back into the lineup. And getting that fourth line together it may have taken a few more games, but you saw, again, trending in the right direction if those guys would get back into regular game shape and be able to play that aggressive, checking, physical game that they do so well that sets the tone so well for this team, then, you know, maybe that situation could have changed and the team would have changed things up and turned things around, but that remains to be seen. The other interesting thing uh, over the weekend that was out there, Andy Green, the defenseman that the Islanders acquired about a week before the actual trade deadline date, indicating that he does indeed want to return and is not thinking of retiring. Now, Green is 37 years old. He is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season, whenever that may actually take place. 
So, interesting to note that Green has no thoughts right now of retiring, and he wants to come back in 2020-2021. Now, the question is, do the Islanders want to bring him back? Would Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz be interested in keeping a veteran presence like Andy Green around for one more season? And if so, what role would he play? Would he still be one of the top six defensemen? Or would a guy like Noah Dobson, for example, or Sebastian Sebastian Ajo uh, pass him in the depth chart and make him, you know, the seventh defenseman or the eighth defenseman? Uh, that's one of those things that is interesting and, you know, might be open for discussion. But Andy Green does want to come back and continue to play hockey beyond the end of this season. All right, if you've been a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Islanders is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Islander fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. And not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Islander fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Just text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll put our team and get them to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, when we return... We will have a little bit more current events news of what's going on around the Islanders during this suspension in play. We will take a look back at this date in Islanders history, and we also uh, have our look at the greatest team in Islanders history, and that is the 1981-82 Islanders all week this week. We will be talking about that team by far, in my mind at least, the greatest year the Islanders ever had. All that and more still to come right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, we are back here at the Locked On Islanders podcast. And look, uh, one other note from uh, the Twitterverse, uh, Islanders Twitter. I know I've uh, mentioned Brittany Grice, who is uh, Tomas Grice's wife. And Grice, the Grice is actually, you know, putting up a tweet uh, you know, basically offering to help people get some of the things they need, whether it was food or toilet paper or whatever the situation is, you know, basically saying, hey, this is a crisis. We're in this together. Uh, if you need help, direct message me and, and, and we'll try to get you what it is that you need. And I, I, again, just a generous, kind move on the part of the Grice family and something that I think just definitely needs to be acknowledged and supported. And, you know, one thing about crisis situations like what we're going through right now with this pandemic, in some people it brings out the worst in them and it makes, you know, people do some strange things, but it really also brings out the best in a lot of people. And 
you know, seeing the Islanders buying pizza and, and, and masks for hospital staff and seeing Tomas Grice and Brittany Grice making this kind of an offer, uh, you know, these are things that are just so positive that show that so many people really do rise to the occasion under difficult circumstances. And I think that, again, that is just something that really should be applauded and, uh, you know, again, doing it quietly as far as, hey, direct message me, Don't not trying to get a lot of fanfare here, but trying to help people and, uh, you know, a, a very kind, generous, and great move right there by the Grice family. All right, this date in Islanders history, we're going to go back to April 6th, 1996. Islanders in the uh, Fisherman jerseys back then, and they are taking on the Buffalo Sabres at the Nassau Coliseum in goal for the Sabres. Dominic Hasek is the starter, very uh, solid goalie to say the least, while the Islanders counter with Eric Fischow, and the first period of this game scoreless at the Coliseum, but early in the second period, the Islanders get on the board. It's Darby Hendrickson, his seventh goal of the season, unassisted at 150, and the Islanders held a one to nothing lead. Couple of uh, fisticuffs going on later on in that second period. Brian McCabe of the Islanders and Scott Pearson of the Sabres dropping the gloves at 626. They each head off five minutes for fighting. At the end of two periods, the Islanders still clinging to that one-to-nothing lead. In the third period, Hashik leaving the game, and he is replaced by Andre Trefilov, who comes in and gives up the next goal of this game. Islanders on the power play with Mark Astley of Buffalo off for hooking at 7.06. The Islanders take advantage and convert Brian McCabe, his sixth goal of the season with the extra man. Marty McGinnis and Ziggy Palfi with the helpers at 8.08. And the Islanders led 2 to nothing. And the Islanders managed to ice the game with an empty net goal by Travis Green. At 1947, that was Green's 22nd goal of the season, unassisted, and the Islanders skate away with a 3-0 win over the Buffalo Sabres. No Islander with multi-point games in this one, especially with uh, two unassisted goals. Brent Severin, the only Islander who was a plus two in this game, and as far as shots on goal are concerned, Marty McGinnis had six to pace the Islanders. Travis Green was next with five, and Darby Hendrickson had four shots on goal. Eric Fischow, 20 saves to earn the shutout for the Isles. Meanwhile, the Islanders uh, basically getting a total of 33 shots on goal in this game. Uh, 30 saves overall for the two Sabres goalies. Hasek stopping 24 of 25. Trefilov 6 of 7. And then you had the empty net goal at the end. But at the end of the day, the Islanders 
with a victory over the Sabres, three to nothing on this date in Islanders history, April the 6th, 1996. All right, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to begin our week-long discussion of the 1981-82 Islanders. That was the Islanders' third consecutive Stanley Cup team, and in my mind, at least, the greatest team in Islanders history. If you think another team was better, hey, feel free, drop us an email or tweet and comment on that. Be happy to talk about that. Again, leave your name and where you're from, and we'll be happy to mention you on the air. More to come right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, so we're going to take our first step of our look back at the 1981-82 Islanders. And look, this is a team that was spectacular from top to bottom. Depth, you had goal scoring, defense, all the things that you need to have a successful hockey team. And you look up and down this lineup, obviously you have the Hall of Famers at the top, Mike Bossy, Brian Trottier, Clark Gillies, Dennis Potvin, and obviously Billy Smith in goal. Those are your Hall of Famers. And yet even some of these lesser known names on this team played important roles and helped the success of the Islanders when push came to shove. And the final record for the Islanders that year was an impressive 54-16-10. Now remember, back then, no overtime, no uh, points for an overtime loss, no shootout. Uh, If the game was done at the end of, uh, you know, 60 minutes, they had this thing called a tie and each team would get one point. Now, during the course of this season, the Islanders went on a 15-game winning streak. Not a point streak, but a winning streak, and all of those wins were in regulation. We will discuss that streak a little bit later on this week and talk about how effective the team was. Uh, You had some changes, Uh, as far as the team was concerned, uh, late late in the 80-81 season, they had traded Chico Resch and Steve Tambellini to the Colorado Rockies for Yari Carella and Mike McEwen. McEwen went on to help this team a lot in the uh, postseason, gave them some depth offensively on the blue line, and uh, experience as well. But on October 1st, 1981, just before the start of the new season, uh, GM Bill Torrey, who was, of course, also in the Hall of Fame, made a deal that was brilliant and really helped the Islanders franchise, although it did not affect them right away this season. But it is part of the season and wanted to mention it. Uh, Basically, Bob Lorimer and Dave Cameron shipped to the Colorado Rockies in exchange for Colorado's first pick in the 1983 NHL draft, and it turned out to be the third pick overall, the player that Torrey got in exchange for Bob Lorimer and Dave Cameron was Pat LaFontaine, who went on to become 
an all-time great Islander. Uh, joined the team the year after the dynasty ended, was a rookie the year the Islanders went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 83-84, but fell to Gretzky, Messier, and the Oilers, but uh, was a great Islander and the team leader and one of the great offensive players in Islanders history and a Hall of Famer. Look, Bob Lorimer, good hockey player, but not on the same level as Pat LaFontaine. A day later, October 2nd, 1981, the Islanders dealt Gary Howitt, a longtime staple on the team, to the Hartford Whalers in exchange for a fifth-round pick in the 83 draft. That turned out to be uh, Bob Caulfield, but uh, Howitt, who had been a part of the first two cup championships for the Isles, shipped out and was no longer a part of the team going forward. Now, the Islanders wasted very little time in getting out of the gate, and they just got off to a very impressive start. They started the season with a three-game road trip in L.A., in Colorado, and at Pittsburgh, and they ended up with a 2-0-1 record, the tie actually coming at the McNichols Arena in Colorado against the Rockies. That was a 2-2 tie. But the Islanders, in their in the month of October, without having more than a three-game win streak, went 8-1-2. They had a pair of three-game winning streaks, only lost one game in the first 11, and were just off to a, an unbelievable start uh, for the month of October. That included wins over Gretzky and the Oilers, a 4-3 win at home on October 27th, uh, a win over the Montreal Canadiens back when, in Montreal, back when they still had Guy Lafleur, and, uh, you know, they were just a couple of years removed from their four-year Stanley Cup run and a win over the Rangers by a 5-4 score at the Coliseum in front of 15,008 fans there. So the Islanders started the season 4-0-1 in their first five games. Their only loss in the entire month of October, a sloppy 9-6 fall at home at the Coliseum, believe it or not, to the Los Angeles Kings, a team that, you know, had the Triple Crown line back then with Marcel Dion, uh, Dave Taylor, and Charlie Simmer, but the Kings were 17 games below 500 over the course of the season, actually fired their coach midway through the season. Uh, so, you know, not exactly a, a powerhouse, but that was the team that the Islanders stumbled against, the only loss they had in the entire month of October, an 818 point percentage for the Islanders to start the season. And, you know, when you get off to that kind of start, you've already won a pair of Stanley Cups. It is very, very difficult for, you know, other teams to catch up to you and to be confident playing against you. The big thing that the Islanders would have to guard against under the circumstances would be complacency, and you certainly weren't going to see that from a team coached by Al Arbor, at least not 
for all that long a period of time. So the Islanders in 81-82 off to a very strong start on the season with the 8-1 and 2 mark to, in the month of October. And this was just the beginning of some great things for, in my mind, the greatest team in New York Islanders history. We're going to bring in some special guests over the course of the week to talk about this great Islanders team and a whole lot more. So make sure you stay with us. And again, we will get through this difficult time together and uh, reminisce about some great hockey in Islanders history. So that wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now, please tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL as our experts share a national perspective on the latest news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. I'm your host, Gil Martin. We'll be back tomorrow with more Locked On Islanders.